Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. Today's main verse is Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Another kind of life is the title of the series that we're in. And it's a journey of discovering how grace enables us and empowers us to live another kind of life. Where we often find bitterness and unforgiveness, grace makes possible a life of forgiveness and graciousness. Where we struggle with apathy and living life on autopilot, grace opens up a life of purpose and giftings and intention where we find ourselves consumed with self-preservation or getting ahead, grace reorients our heart to live a life trusting in God and able to care for others. It is only grace that makes these possible. And the Bible makes it clear that there are spiritual gifts and purposes and good works and so many things that God wants to get to us, to gift to us, and makes it clear that his mechanism for doing so is grace. What does the grace of God bring into our life? Some of you might be asking, and a few of those things are, again, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, anointing to do his work, empowerment to live our lives as slaves to righteousness instead of being enslaved by sin. Now today's message isn't about what all of those gifts are and getting into the nitty gritty of that. It is simply about the fact that there are gifts, that God is generous and good and he gives, and that there are also things that get in the way of us receiving God's grace and thereby receiving his gifts. So naturally, the title of today's message is How to Receive Grace. We're going to keep it real simple, y'all. It's how to receive grace. Let's pray. Father, we are so glad to be in your presence and in your house. Thank you for bringing us into a church and into a family that is so fun and healthy and allows us to experience you and learn about you. Your word is perfect and true, so I pray that you would help us to continue our worship as we hear it and respond to it in faith. Would you prepare us by your Holy Spirit to receive your word, to trust in your goodness, to rely on your grace, and to live for your glory? We open our hearts to you, Jesus. In your all-sufficient name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, y'all ready? Like Pastor Jake said, I mean, I'm going to need some participation. I'm an extrovert, so that means it's not just me up here. It's us all together. Let's go. Okay, okay. There we go. There we go. There we go. Um, Okay, well, so this is actually why, because I have a question that I'm going to need y'all to answer. Raise a hand more than one person. So who's ever had that moment when you realize you're using something the entirely wrong way? Anybody? How many uh, words in a conversation? Maybe someone's like, that ain't what that means. Or or for me, for example, um, you know that, that drawer at the bottom of your oven? The one that you definitely don't use to store cookie trays and cupcake pans and the one pan that won't fit anywhere else. Unless you're like me and you totally do that. Well, that is actually meant to hold food after it comes out of the oven. It's meant to keep food at serving temperature, at a warm serving temperature. So it's supposed to be kept clear. And then when you bake dishes... When you bring them out of the oven, you pull out that drawer and you place the dish in there while you're prepping other things. 
I had no idea. There's even, Josh was showing me, there's even a TikTok trend of people going around and showing you common things that we all know and love and how to use them the right way because we've been using them the wrong way. Like one was those um, Italian seasonings. You know, like the ones with the plastic. Yeah, yeah, they know it because they're on TikTok. So I'm not, but he showed me videos, so I feel youthful. Um, but, you know, like it's, it's hard to take off or you go like this and only a little comes out. When you have the jar and you're tw- you twist the cap, and it all comes out, like so easy and so fast. And your responses are not like mine were when I watched the video, so maybe you'll just have to look it up on TikTok. But it's, it's that whole idea of there are things that we commonly know that maybe we're not using the right way or don't know how to use or how to receive. And recently I had a very personally embarrassing moment as a dog owner. We bought, <laughs> the dog is fine, which is good, just in advance, but we bought a harness for our puppy to help with training, to help with taking him on walks, you know, to keep him in check, and I gotta be honest, it was a little tricky to figure out. <laughs> like, none of my dogs grew up with a harness, um, so I'd never really done it, but we got it on him, and he was rocking it, like, sort of. Um, we went on walks, and it was a little wonky, but we made it work. We made it work, right? Um, but as weeks passed, we noticed that our puppy, Frank, wasn't really vibing with it. Like, he just looked kind of uncomfortable. But we had also heard that it kind of takes some time. Like, not all dogs get used to it. They don't love it right away. Like, it's me and vegetables. You don't love it, but, you know, you, you see the benefits and you get it. Um, but it wasn't until one of Josh's friends came into the house. And immediately he walked in, and he was like, why is your dog's harness on upside down? <laughs> and it was like, cue this total mix of embarrassment, but so much relief because we realized I, in fact, had no idea how to properly apply a harness to my dog. So they took it off and they put it back on him. And the moment they put it on the right way, he was just ecstatic, like running around the house, jumping, running around the yard, as happy as can be. And and I think it's funny because whether or not you have a dog or whether or not you've got a harness, um, I think we can all admit that when things are being used incorrectly, we don't get to receive their full benefits, right? And so with this harness, the true function of the harness was finally um, being used once the guys came over and fixed my mistake. And so the benefits were being enjoyed. My dog was happy. The walks were easier. It was done like this. And so I actually want to propose to you the fact that grace is the same way. That when we don't allow grace to function the way it's designed, we miss out on the benefits. And oftentimes our response is to think that grace doesn't exist. The harness did not exist. It just looked like it didn't exist because the dog was crazy because it was on upside down. So grace can exist, but that doesn't mean that we're always enjoying its benefits. In the Bible itself, in the book of Hebrews... In chapter 12, verse 11, it expresses this idea. The writer exhorts us. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Here, he's illuminating the important nuance to the believer that the grace of God is always given. It is always given, but not always received. And it's pointing out the fact that we're actually able to miss out on what God is trying to gift us with when our understanding of it is a little bit upside down. But when we take a look at that verse that we read at the beginning of the message, we find a description of grace that turns us right side up, that does what Josh's friend did for our poor dog, turns it right side up and explains how to approach grace so that we understand the way it's designed to function and we can enjoy its benefits. Let's take a look at Ephesians 2.8 again. It reads, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. This is the gift of God. And Paul here is explaining that you and I being brought into right standing with God and having a relationship with him, which is what the Bible is talking about when it says salvation, is made possible because of grace. Picture, picture a bridge, like a massive, strong bridge, like a stony, old school bridge that's still here after like thousands of years, a really strong bridge. Grace is like this. Grace is a bridge. It's the bridge that gets us from where we are to God. Paul also says we've been saved by grace through faith, meaning grace is the bridge that connects us to God, and faith is the motion that brings us to the bridge. Faith is the motion that brings us to the bridge because it's the willingness to believe that the bridge even exists and that it will not crumble under the weight of our shortcomings, which is really easy to doubt a lot of times because we can be so aware of all the ways that we fall short sometimes. But Paul clarifies this even further. He says, this isn't your own doing. It is the gift of God. And with that one small phrase, Paul very politely gave me both of my points for this message. We love Paul. But he leads us right into our two points so clearly today by highlighting the very things that keep us from receiving the grace of God and prevent us from approaching that bridge by faith. And the beautiful thing, just to capture our imagination a little bit, is that when we actually learn how to receive the grace of God, our lives get opened up not to just receive and hoard something from God, but God actually gets his gifts through us. Gifts were never intended to stop with us, right? Like whether you think of something like prophecy or whether you think of something like hosting, that gift is all well and good, but it is best expressed and most fulfilling when it impacts someone else. Oftentimes, at all credit to God and no credit to us. When you can walk into a room and you can host someone well at a neighborhood group, when you can prophesy over someone and make them realize that God does see them, that he knows them, that he's not blind or unaware of what is going on in their world. This is the beauty of gifts and why we should have a heart posture that says, God, I want to receive. If there's anything in the way, get it out. That's what we're going after today. So if we can have that heart posture, the Holy Spirit is going to move. And he's going to free us. So point number one, when Paul first says this, he says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Ouch, ouch, ouch. When everything inside of us loves taking credit for really great things. I, I, I do, I'll admit it. When we love the feeling of accomplishment and being able to work really hard and earn something, it feels really good. But Paul is saying grace is not like that. And that's just it. Many of us here today, whether consciously or unconsciously, are actually not receiving the grace of God because we're living a life that actually says, I can be good enough. And there are so many phrases and cultural things like, you're enough. But, but the gospel truth is that you're not, that I'm not, that none of us are not. And that's actually so freeing. It's not mean. It's not rude. It's so freeing because it prevents us from trying to bear the weight that only God can bear. And it opens us up to glorifying him for all of who he is, not just the parts that we think we need. Because we're good in all these areas, but we do need him a little bit here. Instead, it allows us to glorify God for who he is entirely. And it's so beautiful. And that's the point. Point number one is the thing that stops us from receiving grace is the belief that I can be good enough. And this was the point that the writer of Hebrews in that verse we read earlier is making when he said, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. He is charging us to both keep ourselves 
and one another in this room because this community, like we said, it's not just something that's a word. We live and breathe community. We are family and we are called to be a body. So Paul, or the writer of Hebrews here, charges us to keep both ourselves and others from returning to legalism in an outward form or in an inward attitude. Ooh, don't you just love the, the comprehensive nature of accountability? But he's charging us to keep ourselves from a return to legalism. If, if you've never heard that word, legalism is simply a term that means you are depending on your good works and your ability to live morally right to do for you what only grace can do. You are trusting in those things instead of the finished work of Jesus to make you right with God. And so legalism, again, it's not defined by good works. Because sometimes you think like, oh, I'm, I'm doing so many things, so like I must be getting, like I must be doing too much, or maybe I just need to live more by grace. No, legalism is not defined by the act of doing good works. It's how you depend on them. That's what defines legalism, is the dependence upon them. And that's what makes legalism tragically ironic. It's a dead end because no matter how good we could ever be, it never manages to cover the debt that we owe to a holy and perfect and sinless God. Isaiah 64, 6 sets us free in this way. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And again, that's not something that's necessarily heavy, like it's real and it's sobering. But it makes us rejoice in the grace of God all the more. This is what makes grace so outlandishly good and entirely necessary. This, that the very definition of legalism, the crazy thing is it also brings up a massive distinction about the gospel that is so important to note. It's this. The gospel is not anti-works. The gospel is anti-earning. Again, legalism is not about works, but about how you're depending on them. It's not anti-works. It's anti-earning. Earning. And I love that the Bible is the one who gave me that idea. If we go back to Ephesians, and again, we look at that verse, and we're going to read on after that first verse. Starting again at verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, not a result, not based on, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The beautiful thing is that we were made for good works. We were made to be a blessing to other people. We were made to welcome people into the family of God, to make a difference in the world around us. You play a massive role. You are not an accident. You are not a blip on the screen. You play an important role, and God has placed you in the lives of the people around you. And that's the beautiful thing. You were created for good works. But Sarah, how do I know if I'm living a life dependent upon myself and upon my works? Or how do I know if I'm stuck in a cycle of earning and believing I'm in fact good enough? That's the question we're all asking probably. How do I tell? Well, it often reveals itself in two ways. Pride and guilt. And don't tune out. However you might feel about those words because we're going to get into it and you might be surprised about some things. See, pride responds to grace by saying oh, I've got this. I, I can work for it. It's the gospel of I'm good enough instead of Jesus was enough. Author Andrew Wilson, and this, this hit me so hard, he gives this remarkably relatable picture, guys. He says, for respond to grace, we must, and always do, ignoring the gift or acting like, acting as if it had not been given does not honor the giver. Then again, 
neither does attempting to earn it or repay it. As if we reciprocated God's purchase of the first round of drinks by offering to buy the next one. Some of us are still trying to buy the second round of drinks or outpay God when he already purchased us with Jesus Christ. Some are still trying to do that even though it's absolutely antithetical to the gospel. It's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith says Jesus did enough. He was sufficient. Grace is complete. It is finished. But practical ways, right? Practical ways. How do I actually see if I'm trying to, you know, because God's not here. We, we're, not, we're not trying to buy a lemonade. Like, how, Sarah, how do I know if I'm trying to buy back or, or outpay God? I'll just ask here, here are a few questions. Are you annoyed when you're called to give God credit for where you are in life and what you have? I notice this in me sometimes. I'm like, people are like, you know, they're like, oh, you're just so good. And I'm like, you're right, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, but, but, but it's that voice, but I worked really hard. But I. When God receives, is supposed to receive all the glory and he's worthy of it. How about this? Do you rarely ask God for help in prayer and spend more of your time um, planning out loud? Or asking him to bless your strategy and your plan instead of asking for help to give you a plan? These are all just personal examples. <laughs> not, not preaching to y'all. Um, but there's that one, right? Man, um, gosh, do you spend very little time in prayer at all? Do you spend very little time in repentance? And repentance is such an important part because repentance is apologizing to God and asking that he would forgive you and it's a complete thing it's not just stopping there it's finishing the loop and receiving the grace of God and forgiveness that Jesus has already paid for and then committing your heart to live by the truth that actually responds to the sin that you were dealing with do we rarely repent and ask God for forgiveness because we think we don't need forgiveness because we're good enough these are all symptoms of the prideful posture that I'm good enough and they will rob us of the other kind of life that God is wanting to usher us into and bless us with. How about guilt? Guilt responds to grace by becoming defeated by the amount of failures you've racked up. Do you let distance between you and God build up when you sin? Keeping it at arm's length because you tell yourself he wouldn't want you around? Do you punish yourself for long periods of time instead of allowing God to discipline and restore you it's both but sometimes we beat ourselves up so much longer than God would and that's not like him these are all symptoms of guilt which whisper God's grace is powerful but not powerful enough to cleanse me my sin is the exception to Christ's sufficiency there's no way he could ever cover what I've done I've done enough I've done too much Instead of Jesus was enough. Which when we pause, we realize is actually another kind of pride. Because it's a pride that boasts of the power of our sin and diminishes the power of Christ's sufficiency and his work on the cross. The way that we dislodge, and this is the good news, right? The title is How to Receive Grace. So the way that we dislodge that posture of pride and receive God's grace looks like the exact opposite of these. It looks like running to the throne of grace daily and asking God for a prayer, in prayer for help. What areas have you been trying to figure out on your own? Your next job, the next bill, this friendship that got a little awkward, that relationship you want to pursue, what you're waiting for and have trouble waiting for, 
an area that you struggle to be content in, asking God in prayer for help. How long have you been refusing to own the fact that you desperately need Christ? Man, sometimes just going in prayer to God and being like, I need you. I need you so bad. And I could never get a day without needing you. But it's just a simple phrase that I personally can get so far along without coming back to. But just declaring that we need him. It's a really beautiful thing when we do. And, and see, when we, when we do those things, we actually step into another kind of life. A life that brings in God's wisdom, God's favor, God's blessing, God's peace, God's joy. We step into another kind of life of joy by confessing that we are not enough and getting to rejoice in the fact that when we put our faith in Christ, we received all his righteousness. Not just a little bit, not just a little bit, all of it. All, the whole thing, the whole thing. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. So we never, as believers, we're actually never approaching the Father on our own basis. We are approaching it robed in Christ's righteousness, which is such a beautiful thing. And something that gives you so much confidence when you go in prayer. You can be confident to approach the throne of grace. And when you find yourself feeling guilty, how about for that guilt, right? Or being weighed down by your sin? I want you to do this. I want you to take a moment and thank God for his kindness. Last week, Pastors Joe and Pastor Jake preached a message that brought down the house and brought down so many lies about grace. They talked about the three movements. And they talked about how God's judgment, its first and foremost aim is restoration. That it always goes for that. And so when you find yourself weighed down by guilt, I want you to thank God for his kindness. And I want you to remember that it's his kindness that's revealing your sin to you. So that he can restore you and call you to repentance, not bring you in for punishment. There's a very big difference. And it's a beautiful thing. I want us to live another kind of life by walking by faith to the bridge. And apologizing for what we've done. And confidently receiving the forgiveness that Jesus fully paid for on the cross. That's why repentance is so important. Because confession, yes we confess our sins. But we got to stand on the fact that forgiveness was already paid for. We never walk away from confession and prayer wondering if God is still holding it against us. We don't walk away wondering if, wow, maybe God is just keeping track of all those things. No, 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 no. In confession and in prayer, we stand on the finished work of Jesus and thank him and rejoice that we are washed clean. His forgiveness and grace are in reach. And sometimes all it takes is apologizing to God for calling him a liar when we refuse to believe his grace was as powerful as he says it is. And again, I just want to give you the promise that the scripture gives us about repentance. When Peter is preaching to this crowd in the New Testament, he says, repent, therefore, that times of refreshing may come. Refreshing and joy and rejoicing are the fruit of repentance. And again, his, pro- his forgiveness and, and grace are in reach. It's like the prodigal son. There's a story in the New Testament. And like the prodigal son today, you don't even have to make it home for God to welcome you. You simply have to turn towards him and he'll see you no matter how far off you feel and he'll meet you where you are. He's not expecting you to cross that bridge on your own. He's just asking you by faith to move towards it and he'll meet you there. Yeah, that can be an amen and a praise to God because he's that good. The second way that we prevent ourselves from receiving grace is found again in Ephesians 2.8. 
And honestly, we're probably going to have this verse memorized by the end of this message, so we'll just buckle up and get in. But it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. What is it? It is the gift of God. The gift of God, Paul says, and a good gift at that, right? We just laid out in point number one how outlandishly good it is because it is not given with an eye to our performance or our pedigree, but given entirely out of the goodness of the giver, out of the goodness of God, but that's just it. That's what trips us up, the goodness of God, and that believing that he is as ridiculously good as he says he is. How could a gift like grace be given with no strings attached? How could it not be a Trojan horse and instead be the real deal with what you see is what you get? How can we be sure God won't change his mind? Am I, am I the only one who's wrestled with these questions? Is there a limit to how much grace God is willing to give me? Does God really want to give it to me or is he obligated or filled with regret when he does? I don't think I'm the only one who's asking these questions or wrestled with these in the place of prayer or when I'm feeling down. But this is why Paul makes the doubt in us flinch with his words. He says that God is generous with the most valuable thing, and we had nothing to do with it. And this is why one way we present ourselves from receiving grace is by believing I am good enough. And the second way we prevent ourselves from receiving grace is by believing that God is not good enough. Believing this lie keeps us from moving towards the bridge of grace because we believe we're too worried that it's a mirage. Like, if you don't think something's a real deal, you're not going to waste your time on it, right? Like, we're not going to really get close. And so that second point is that we're, we're too afraid that the bridge is a mirage. We don't believe that God could really be that good. And it's understandable because of the culture that we're born and raised in. We are born and bred in a culture of earning and deserving. We've got the friends who say they forgive us yet still make us earn it. We live in a city where relationships and opportunities are based and provided by what you can do for someone else. It makes sense why we have a mindset that is absolute opposite of the kingdom of God. Absolutely opposite. And yet I could, I could sit here and I could tell you a personal story about the goodness of God, but I'd actually rather opt for a story that is each of ours. It's found in Numbers 23, 19. It's this beautiful thing because when we're going through these moments where we experience the world, Numbers 23, 19 actually reminds us God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? And so the story, right, I'm tempted to tell a personal one, but I'd rather actually tell us the one that is each of ours. It starts in Romans 5, 6, and it says, for a while we were still weak at the right time. And that's weak morally. Don't just think strength and, and you could probably outbench me so it doesn't apply to you. No, 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 no. It's weak morally. It's weak in holiness. It's weak in righteousness. The things that allow us to stand before God. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, you and I. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is our story. And then Paul describes how if God did this for us while we, while we were at odds, while we were at odds with him, how much assurance we can have as believers that his grace and his goodness will not run out on us now. 
but only be experienced more fully and more truly as we believe in him and move by faith to the bridge of grace and test it out. He continues in verse nine, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we were reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. See, our faith in God's goodness is based on the fact that at our worst and at our lowest, he chose to save us. He didn't wait to see if we'd ever turn or desire a relationship with him. He didn't wait to see if we'd make the first move or prove he could have confidence that we'd be worth it. We were already worth it to him because he loves us because he is that good. The way we overcome this hurdle, right? Because it's all about how to receive grace. The way that we overcome this hurdle of mistrusting God's goodness isn't easy. Receiving grace in this area and overcoming this might not be easy, but it's doable. And I can guarantee you've already practiced it in your relationships because just like any relationship, it takes vulnerability. Think of your spouse. Think of your best friends, right? It takes vulnerability, it took exposure, it took your faith in getting close enough to them to see if they would let you down. That was how the thickness and the goodness of those relationships were built. And it's the same way with God. There's no relationship in which we could come to deeply believe and know someone is good without getting close enough to let them prove it. And God is asking for that opportunity to let him prove it to you today. He's asking for you to let the experiences and the wounds of other people go to not identify him with those but identify him with Jesus on the cross and what he did for you it's about praying and asking God to activate the gifts and the graces that he's given you in your relationships and in your positions so how to receive grace is moving towards him in faith and so practically I know that might sound lofty like again it's prayer but prayer is communication Prayer is relationship. Prayer is building something with someone and you ask God. It takes faith to step out and be like, God, for this position I'm in at work, for my position as a father or a mother in this family, for my position as a leader on this team at church, would you grace me? In this area that's hard to figure out, God, would you give me grace and would you activate the gifts that you've placed inside of me to better lead and love people? That's vulnerability. So it's not big and lofty, it's so quite simple and that's again, just the incredible thing about grace is it gets to be really simple. It's putting ourselves out there. And it's, it's doing this on the mornings when you wanna wake up and you have the choice to mistrust God. It's choosing every day to be resolved to let your voice cry out with Paul's as we see in Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? What then shall I say to this doubt? What then shall I say to this fear? What then shall I say to this wound and this history and this past? What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare you look your you look your pride, you look your guilt, you look your fear in the eye, and you say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Not my guilt, 
not my shame, not my fear. It is God who justifies, who is to condemn Christ. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is interceding for you, who has not forgotten you, who is with you. And this, guys, this is why, amen. This is why I love neighborhood groups and why I can't wait to see y'all out there because I would be the first to admit that it's real hard to wake up and choose to be resolved. That I don't do it every day, I wish I did. But on the days I've done it, it's been because of the community that stands around me. I've been able to do it because neighborhood groups are this insanely grace-filled environment for when I've been struggling to believe in the goodness of God, I find myself in the midst of a living, breathing, tangible experience of it, His people. I can't necessarily hug God, but I can hug Ronay, my co-lead, who when it's been a day and my mind is jumbled and it's hard to figure out discussion questions. She reminds me that it's okay. Or if she knows it's been a heck of a week and I can't maybe make it on time to help her food prep, she's like, no, it's good. I love you. That's the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. It's his people who show me grace and patience and show all of us grace and patience as we grow through things, who champion me when I am unsure or intimidated, who remind me over and over that I don't have to earn my place or deserve it, but the doors are open and I am welcomed and invited and wanted in at the table. It's in neighborhood groups where gifts I never thought or saw in myself were called out by other people and fanned into flame. And this is the cooler part. It's in neighborhood groups where I get to see the gifts that God has placed in other people and call them out and fan them into flame. And I don't know about you, but it can be pretty hard to believe the grace of God or the goodness of God is on my life. But every time I'm in prayer or you're talking to someone and you feel God's heart for someone else, tell me that doesn't fill you with faith that he's good. When you step out and show up to a neighborhood group and you get to see what God is doing on the inside of people's lives, It reminds me over and over again that he's good and I'm convinced. Neighborhood groups never fail to remind me that the gifts we receive by grace are the byproduct of our identity, not our accomplishment. It's our identity as beloved children of God who are in his family that we get to carry and receive gifts by. Again, not works, not pedigree, not what we did last night, whether or not we're gonna fulfill what we said, we're gonna do its grace. And that empowers us to live a life of beautiful works for sure, but that's not the basis. And I just wonder, I would love if even in this room, we could start asking ourselves a question. What have I maybe yet to receive from God? What does God have for me that is waiting right there? And if I can just let go or quiet this lie, I would get to receive and walk in. And it's a beautiful life that you get to live if we can do that because there are so many gifts that bless other people. We were at one night and we did this incredible thing. It it blew my mind. We put up a number on the screen during worship and we allowed people to text in words of knowledge. And then the altar time at the end, if y'all ain't at one night, I don't know what y'all doing with your life. It's just good, I promise. And I know, I know y'all South Bay, I know it's a drive, but it's worth it, I'ma just say. But anyway, you have the number. People were texting in the number. And then at the end of the night, we displayed every word of knowledge that was texted in. And we said, if one of these words applies to you, would you come forward and receive prayer? God is here and he wants to cover that area. And I love the way we did that because it made the gift so beautiful. It reminded you that the gift doesn't have to do with you. 
Nobody got credit for a single word they said. How purifying is that? For the gifts of God to be used in such a pure way, nobody got credit, but we saw stories, people coming to the altar. There was a person in our church who has a family member who's struggling with bipolar disorder and that word was on the screen and they got to go and receive prayer by someone else and they got to cover that family member as they walk through that. There was someone who has been searching for a home and has been experiencing different things, trying to heal from things that people have done to them in the name of God. And they shared and they shared in my neighborhood group on Sunday night that they were so grateful for our neighborhood group because it was a giving them a place to heal and how people in our church were so kind and so nice and so gracious and that it was allowing them to learn that the house of God actually is a safe place when they were taught very unfortunately that it wasn't. And there was a word of knowledge that said, you can stop questioning it, this is home. And she had said those words. I didn't plan to go to church when I moved to LA. And I've been trying to figure out if this is home, but you guys have been so kind. And on the words at one night were those words. And so this is, the, this is the life that you get to live when you get to receive the grace of God. You can receive kindness that changes someone's day. You can receive gifts that are powerful like words of knowledge or prophecy and can change someone's whole week. But you can also just receive the ability to show grace. How much does that change someone's life? Pastor Jake preached it last week and Pastor Joe did as well that when we learn how to receive grace, we become a gracious people. So if only for that, by the end of this series, could we be a more gracious person? You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.